Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown and this is the podcast that reveals what life is like for the musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today we're discovering the role of the fixer. How do you make sure that you have all the right players for any piece of music? I'm joined by the LPO's Orchestra Personnel Manager Andrew Chenery and Cor Anglais player Sue Burling. Welcome back Sue and lovely to have you on the podcast Andrew. Hi. Good to see you. Thanks Yolanda. I want to start with Andrew, if I can. What is a fixer stroke personnel manager? The fixer's role, or the personnel manager, as I probably would like to be known, <laughs> is to make sure that the right people are in the right place at the right time. In our backstage team, we have librarians who look after the music. We have stage managers who look after the instruments. And I'm the person, along with my colleague, Felix who works with me, who looks after the personnel, the people, make sure they're in the right place at the right time. It sounds quite simple, but there's quite a lot of nuances along the way and management of people's personalities and conductors and soloists because you're on site with the orchestra the whole time. Why does an orchestra need a personnel manager? We have a core membership of around 70 players. A lot of the time we're working with many more than that. So we would go up to at least, well, sometimes over 100, depending on the repertoire. So those extra players over and above the 70 players of the core membership need to be booked and engaged by me and my team. I fix the woodwind, brass, percussion, harp, all those, and Felix, my colleague, takes on the strings. For many, many years, I did the whole orchestra when I started working here, there was only one personnel manager. And when I worked at the London Symphony Orchestra for a while, there was only one personnel manager. So now I have the luxury of two people doing that. We're lucky to work in London where there is such an amazing community of freelance musicians that we are able to call on. So we're, we're fixing those extra players. And then over and above that, we deal with the players, the core membership and their time off because not everyone in the orchestra does everything the orchestra does. If a player, for example, needs some time off, we'll then fix a replacement for them. Of course. And so, Sue, can you explain to us what's the difference between a member and an extra or a non-member? Okay, so the way we run things in the LPO, um, we're all shareholders of our orchestra. So we go through an audition process. If the job comes up, you go through trials and you get appointed. You become a member of the orchestra. So as you said, I think we've got a core membership of around 70. And when the repertoire is standard classical repertoire, generally that would be the size of the orchestra we'd be using. But when under the baton of Vladimir, mm. we had some incredibly diverse repertoire and huge orchestrations. And so that's when Andrew and Felix kick in and we have plugged the gaps and put all the extra musicians on where they're needed. So we, as shareholders of our company, there are sort of financial things like holiday pay and things like that. But actually, we treat our extras pretty much the same way as members. We have a really loyal core of extras that we go to, which is always ebbing and flowing and changing because obviously they're working in lots of different places. But we are incredibly loyal to them. They're a really important part of our team 
and we recognize that they have the same treatment they get paid the same they you know everything's the same as soon as you're engaged as soon as andrew engages somebody on one of our concerts then if there's an email that goes around they're included if there's a text they're included mm-hmm. you know so we 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 take that side of it very very seriously they're still part of our family it's worth pointing out that 70 members as a core is quite small yeah right. compared to other orchestras particularly abroad but in london i think the other main orchestras are a little larger than that it's primarily because we have our summer season at Glyndebourne when we're a smaller orchestra anyway because the size of the pit doesn't allow us to be yes. a big orchestra so sure. we don't carry a full membership we have one person to a seat really so we have you know one principal over one principal flute we have one leader at the moment so single principals of each section mm. where a lot of orchestras will have double principals so if one goes off then the other one will step in so if one of us goes off Andrew has to plug the gap and find another player. When you have a principal musician, uh, they're leading their section, so to speak. So if they can't make it, would you be looking for somebody with the same skill set as a principal player? Or would you be inclined to have somebody, a member, step up and plug that hole? Yeah, I mean, we basically run a system where we offer the chance for our own players to sit up. I've always felt that that gives the orchestra a real strength in depth that maybe other orchestras don't have the luxury of. So when we're appointing new players to the orchestra, there is this sort of environment where we offer the chance for people to sit up. So in Sue's section, for example, if Ian, the principal oboe, isn't there, I would talk to the second oboe, Alice, to see whether she would want to sit up. It's not a requirement for her to do so. But it is the opportunity is there. And Sue, tell me about your position within the orchestra. Coran Clay doesn't feature in everything no. uh, that the orchestra plays. So how does it work for you as a musician? Um, when I first joined, our programming was much more sort of straightforward and classical. When we were under the baton of Kurt Mazur, whose repertoire was very much Beethoven, Brahms, Bruckner, I wasn't around at all. I wasn't required. So that's that. You know, we're not salaried or anything. So I pursued my freelance career and I went off and did the commercial work and what have you. That kept me going. In one instance, I think we had a famous tour with Mazur and we were suddenly, I got this schedule through the post. I really thought it was Ian making a joke on me. And all of a sudden there were nine New World symphonies on this sheet of paper. <laughs> and I hadn't really worked with Mazur at all. And then here's this tour with nine New World symphonies. And I really thought they were just having a joke and I thought they'd set me up. But actually it was true. So all of a sudden, I was very busy with uh, Mr. Mazur. It was only really, genuinely, when Vladimir turned up that the programming changed beyond belief. Mm. I didn't have a second off, really. Huge repertoire we were going through, and a lot of it really relatively unknown sometimes. I'm pretty much on a lot of the time. It's very different to the old days. And so even at that time where you weren't needed for that repertoire, you were still a member of... Still a member of the orchestra. I get a schedule telling me that I'm not required. you're not required. (laughs) (laughs) Our schedules are very detailed. You know, they they give us the orchestration of what's involved. And I I mean, obviously, I can scan through it and see if I'm on. But uh, it hasn't been like that for a long time. There's a retainer Uh, system for members as well. So when players aren't required for our own promotions, they can get retained. So they're kept on a small, basic sort of fee structure. And it's interesting because when we've been doing this podcast for for a long time, which is lovely to be able to hear from all the different musicians, but you do refer to yourselves as freelancers. Ah, Yeah, some of us. I mean, down the line players who aren't on all the time. 
in order, you know, you've got families to support and what have you, you're going to be wanting to work elsewhere. So can you just break down that terminology for me? What is a down-the-line player? So someone like me, you've got your principal oboe or flute, bassoon, clarinet in the woodwinds. Then we have our number twos. And then we have, as I'm calling our down-the-line players, who are principal bass clarinet, piccolo, cor anglais, contrabassoon. And so that's a down-the-line player. But they're not used as much, is that why? Yeah, we don't come up. I think piccolos are used a lot more. Mm. And then... Probably cor anglais, bass, clarinet, contra. Yeah, in that order. Yeah, I'd say um, so. Yeah. And so are you then called in for gigs with other ensembles? Yes. I mean, I'm flattered that the phone still rings and uh, <laughs> people <laughs> ring me up, still want me to go and work there. It's quite tricky. If I'm, I'm committed here, mm. and if I'm committed here, then I have to say no quite a lot. But there is another large London orchestra that just rang up yesterday for a, some work tomorrow for a week, 10 days. And I'm not available because I'm here. I don't know what's gone on there. I think COVID has obviously brought in some emergency situations. Kept me busy, that's for sure. I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And is it quite, stressful is the wrong word, is it quite a lot to juggle that diary to know where you're going to be when, maybe even stepping in to other ensembles without rehearsal? It is a little bit. We get very comfortable in our own family here. <laughs> and so there's always a little bit of a feeling going in somewhere else, you know, sort of, oh, you may not have seen them for a while. I mean, the music family, especially in London, it's very small. We all know each other. There's not many people we probably haven't worked with. So when you go into another woodwind section, you know, it's just like going to another branch of your family. In the commercial field, anyway, you never really know what's going to be in front of you when you turn up. The red light goes on and it could be anything. I always find that fascinating. You are my heroes in for that. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, And Andrew, how big is the LPO extras pool uh, that you can pull from then? How big is my contact list on my phone? Yeah. (laughs) I would say we're running into several thousand names. Really? When we look at it all and put it all together. Some of those get used quite regularly. Some of them get used rarely. But yeah, it's a big pool of players and London provides that. If you've got a complicated thing to fix, if I need some banjo players, for example, like that, I know someone who knows some banjo players, so I'll go and ask them about banjo players. And so then you must be quite a social person then. Do you Um, always have to keep your ear to the ground for musicians? Personally, I'm quite shy, but (laughs) this job gives me the chance to be gregarious without having to be gregarious, if you like. Yes, makes sense. I can hide behind the, uh, the costume behind the of role. my job yes yeah. so yeah I'm sociable in that respect because I get on with all the players in the orchestra and I'll meet them all and say hello to them all and chat to them all if they want to chat but in a social environment out of work I'll probably go and hide somewhere <laughs> <laughs> And do you find that Probably you have didn't to? Know that, did you see? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're learning. We're learning. Where's he hiding? Where's he hiding? <laughs> and do you find that you have to go to sort of lots of different gigs? I mean, and even find new players that are coming onto the scene. Or oh, busman's so holiday? Much. You mean like going yeah. to concerts that I don't have to be at? Yeah. Um, probably not. I don't go out and listen to players in other orchestras to find out about people. Mm. I would normally consult with the members of the orchestra that I'm trying to fix a problem for and find out what their thoughts are on who to ask. I mean, the extras lists that we have in the orchestra are basically constructed from players talking to me about who they'd like to be on the list. It's not me that decides who goes on the list. How do you get on the list? 
Yeah. Sounds very VIP, but yeah, no, as it's a, a musician listening in, how do you get on It's a really this? good question, yeah. because it's the question that people at music college ask me all the time. And I went to talk to the Guildhall School of Music clarinet class the other day, and that was the main question, is how do you get on the extras list? We sometimes have extra work auditions. It's rare in the wind and brass section. It's more common in the strings, where we need many more extras anyway. But the teacher is an important thing when you're at music college, and having consultation lessons with other principal players mm. in other orchestras, because that's what normally happens, is that an extras list might be exhausted in, and I can't find someone, I'll go to a principal player and say, look, I'm really struggling to find someone. Can you recommend someone? Yeah. Have you got any youngsters that are really good? And then that's where someone can start working for an orchestra. Ready. There's quite a number of us teaching at the colleges, yeah. the Royal Academy, the Royal College, yeah. Guildhall, Trinity, and that's our feed, yeah. really. And we try and impress on the students that, you know, we are the interface to you and the profession. Now, whatever you do, wherever you play, wherever you audition, whatever exam you take... We all visit, we might examine in a different college to where we teach. That's how we get to know who's up and coming and, and how it's all We also have developing. a fantastic scheme, the Foil Future yeah. First of course, scheme. Yes. Which and they also, for. Yeah, and also feeding into that, hopefully, is the Junior Artist Scheme, which is there to try and be a little bit more inclusive and diverse. Mm-hmm. The Future First has been a real success. I feel as though it's really helped me in many difficult situations because we've got someone just there sitting there who's in a year course with the orchestra who's done an audition as you say Sue mm-hmm. who's passed a really quite strenuous audition mm-hmm. and can get the opportunity to play with the orchestra. Last season I think um, both my colleagues Ian and Alice both oboes were sick with Covid oh, and yeah. Um, yeah. I had four concerts with four different completely me. different <laughs> sections back to back and that involved some of our future firsts and people that I know and guest previous extras and firsts, yeah. previous future firsts and mm-hmm. a lot of our future firsts have gone on to get jobs I recommend to anyone in music college who asks me how do you get on an extras list is that bridge between leaving college and starting in the profession these schemes that the orchestras offer future first as being one of them it's, I think it's we're very really conscious good. too of giving you know our students a, a break even if, if they didn't make it onto the future first scheme we're still trying to get them in on odd pieces just to you know help them mm. start what are some of the challenges with replacing personnel and trying to find somebody to slip into the family and help yeah well that run up to Christmas was quite something wasn't it in the oboe section we'd been on a, on a German mainly. tour wasn't yeah. it? Our section was... And the flute as well. Oh, yes, that's right, yes. So the front row woodwind looked quite different every I day. I can imagine. Oh, yes, Stuart and I were like bookends. It was noted. <laughs> yes, we were the only members on and everyone else in between were sort of extras wow. and guests. Yeah, it, and that's huge. It only takes one change in a section, our section, we feel anyway, yeah. changes the dynamic completely Yeah. and how it feels and how it settles. Yes. It's, it's and we were doing repertoire with big oboe solos. Oh, I mean, cute. most orchestral repertoire has big oboe solos because it's a, such a prominent seat, but... The the people that came in did a fantastic job. Mm. They really rose to the occasion. It was great. But at the time, it felt like I was, all I was doing was trying to fix... Phone glued to your ear. Yeah, well, Sue <laughs> was a great help. Because I was going to ask We Sue, were texting, we were texting at midnight. Yeah, I was going home to Dorset. Here's another list, you know, here's another list, here's another still 10 options. Still haven't found someone. We were still trying to find somebody for, like, the wow. next day or... For this particular programme we're doing tonight, there's four COVID cases that we're dealing with, some which have been going on for a few days, a couple which have just started. Mm. We're asking players to self-isolate 
when they get a, a positive test, yes. which is the right thing to do. But it, yeah, it's causing issues, and conductors are being very understanding. Of course. And you say suddenly you haven't got such and such this morning, although they rehearsed the last two days with you. They're no longer here, you know. So we've all had to change. And so, what does that mean for the players? I mean, to come into a piece of repertoire that you might have been rehearsing for two days that's brand new that they're going to probably see for the first time on stage. Mm. How do you welcome them in and make them feel as at ease as is ever possible? And we just try very, very hard to be super nice and uh, <laughs> teas and coffees and food on tap. And I think actually most of the people who came in, they actually did get to rehearse. We didn't have anybody that just came in on a show. Yeah. And the repertoire wasn't avant-garde. It was known, even though it was big. Yeah. They were tunes that they should have known. And generally it's hard enough, as you know, I mean, just Absolutely. doing our job. But then you've got to kind of look after two other people and make them feel happy and welcome. And you've got your own stuff to worry about. But they were great. Everybody we had in, I mean, was just, they did a fantastic job. And I think we're a very worried. friendly orchestra. We are an incredibly friendly orchestra. I mean, well, people we would are telling say that, me wouldn't that. we? But well, I, I believe it. Our, our win team, we, you know, we are, we will all go out and have a meal all together after a concert you know that's incredibly rare it is a rare thing incredibly to get a win rare. section that functions yeah <laughs> and talk to each other and talk to each other <laughs> yeah no it's 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 a joy to behold though when oh. it works because they sound fantastic as well as enjoying themselves off, off the yeah, platform and if someone's you know. got a rough day or something terrible's gone on at home or someone's just getting over covid you know no one's going to give them a hard time we just we support each other mm-hmm. so when you then get a larger piece of repertoire and you have to almost outsourced to boost up the numbers. Yeah. How does that dynamic feel? Can you keep the nucleus of the family there and welcome in? Yeah, the extra I think people? it enhances it. As long as I've got enough time, I love fixing a large orchestra. <laughs> Thing like a Mahler symphony, you, know, you can sit down and spend some time getting a horn section together and a trumpet and trombone section together and then all the extra woodwind players you need. And you know when you've got it right because people know each other, I like each other. They come to me and say, who's on for the Mahler 2 coming up? And I'll say them and they'll say, oh, that's great. <laughs> and I think, oh, thank God for that. I've got it right. <laughs> There's a real sense of pride in doing that. And on the flip side, have there been any close calls where maybe you haven't made quite the right pairing or you haven't been able to find a player right up until the the final hour there was a particularly difficult time when we were in the middle of a run of Wagner's Tristan and Isolde at Glyndebourne oh yeah I lost my dad yeah and um we had yeah, a run of Tristan was, and, and that that's tough. such an epic it's the biggest core anglais part in the yeah. repertoire really I mean you know it's about half an hour of core anglais on your own <coughs> up in the guild somewhere and um there was no way we could put somebody in but no but notice you, for that. But you weren't. The, you couldn't be there. Well, of course. the show went on. Yeah. I did. She did. You know, that's the one time when actually you just think, oh my god, it'd be quite nice if can yeah. I just not be here? But the show went on on that occasion. I and think we tried, we tried maybe two or three people that you, we would be comfortable with. There would only be one or two people who yeah. could actually come in on that. Yes. Then, and it's under those circumstances, you just think actually, yeah. you just it's just not it's not doable really. At that point. Obviously, you're, you're not ill, so you can play, but you are grieving. So was it ever an option to say, I cannot come? I know how loyal you are. Um, yeah. But if you couldn't get out of bed that day and there, you couldn't might, get those two corridors, there might be there, what some people that would have just said, actually, I'm not doing it. But I know what a task it is. I know that piece inside out. I didn't make the last page of the music very often without absolutely weeping. But, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just we would have solved it, though, somehow. We would have somehow but done it. But it, it, it would have just... meant 
telling Robin Titchiard to use conducting that you have a different Coronet player tonight, it's depending on who it is. One to come and in you, on. and you, he would have then spent maybe have to have spent half an hour with that person. Of course. So it would have meant rearranging things and compromising things, but Sue, being the, the trooper that she is, carried on, you know, extraordinarily. Yes. And I think that does have something to say, and it highlights the family element we're talking about. Yeah, I have a an individual relationship with every single player in the orchestra, which is mm. confidential, and that's how it should be. And so they can trust me, hopefully, when they come and talk to me about something. It could be anything, you know, that they're going through in their lives, which means that it affects their playing or their ability to come into work. Is there a time, Andrew, where... The timetabling, the fact that we're going through a pandemic, all of those things. Is there ever a point where you just say, we need to change the repertoire? No, I don't think I've ever had to do that. Wow. Sometimes we've changed conductor at short notice, and that's a whole new ball game. And that probably in some ways where you were asking about what's the most difficult thing for a fixer, personal manager, have to deal with, is when we've had to change conductor at short notice and the repertoire has changed. So you have an orchestra book to a certain size for certain pieces and then suddenly it all changes and you have to then reconstruct everything and then you have to remember who's got to get paid <laughs> from the original set of orchestra of and the second set of orchestra. It can get very complicated. So you need a very clear and organised brain. And so, Sue, I know there's a, a friendly culture here at the LPO, but how does a player get in I'm not looking at you now, Andrew. How does a player get in with the fixer? Because ultimately, Andrew knows the culture. He knows what he's trying to fill. He knows the other members that exist. What do you say to extras coming in who want to stay on the extras list or new members that are auditioning for the chair to try and really fit in with the fixer? I think we have to go back to when we were talking as a collaboration. You don't get in with, you have to be more in with the team and the section that you're playing with so we would be asking Andrew look preferably could we get XYZ or ABC this is good repertoire for them or whatever so I don't believe it's sort of keeping in with although most players now you know you've got to be professional yes turn up on time be polite reply to Andrew's messages quickly exactly flowers on arrival it's more really just I think it is it's a collaborative process so I think getting in with Andrew won't necessarily I think help also now things have changed over the years now because social media is what it is and communication is so much easier than it used to be I mean when I started Fixing, And when my predecessor, who'd been with the orchestra for over 30 years, John Cobb, who, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us, but he, he was a bit of a legend. And I remember when I first came here, he used to sit next to a payphone with a bag of two P pieces um, fixing. So he didn't want to have to ask too many people because his time would not allow it. So getting in with the fixer might have been more relevant in those days, whereas I can communicate with a vast number of people really quickly. And so it's not quite such a sort of closed environment. And as Sue said, it's a collaboration with the players in the orchestra and the extras. I feel that. And how long have you been the personnel manager for LPO? I came to the orchestra in 1992. I came from the London Classical Players, which was Roger Norrington's period instrument orchestra, where I was fixing players 
two years in advance. Wow. Because it was a very small community of specialist musicians. I came to the LPO in 1992. I started as assistant personnel manager to John. And when he left in 1996, he retired in 1996, I took over from him. And I was fixing people a month in advance and six weeks in advance. So it was really different. And I guess there's an element of scheduling as well. I mean, Sue, how does a musician in the LPO go ahead and book a holiday or if they need to be with their children during half term? How do you approach Andrew in that in that sense? I think our orchestra is quite well organised in that respect because we always factor in Christmas holidays. We have factored in Easter. Mm-hmm. Summer is more complicated because we have our long four-month season at Glyndebourne. But generally, once that comes to an end and there's a prom at the end of August... Usually the first week of September is free, so people tend to gear themselves up towards those obvious breaks. But obviously there are times when, you know, families need to get together and have a proper holiday. And then we will get in touch with Andrew and say, how's it looking? Obviously we can't have the entire orchestra all off at the same time. So there's a bit of an element of, you know, let's work out who's doing what and... Who's, who's got the young yeah, families to... We need to in. maintain a representative orchestra, particularly when we're here at the, the Festival Hall. So it's impossible to let everyone off during half-term. Yeah. But it generally works by negotiation. And booking in early? Or are yeah, you actually um, looking at the repertoire as well and thinking, I'm, I need you? Yeah, I mean, the players are very responsible about the repertoire. Because if Sue knows there's a new world simply coming up, she won't take it off. Yes, as, um, as we've seen today. Yeah. 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 And yeah. we talk amongst ourselves as players. So if I know that Ian's thinking about going off on this and then Alice and I think, OK, well, how do we get on? We'll try and it's not just sort of first come, first served. Otherwise, I think there'd be sort of a war yes. at some point. It doesn't always work. So I think generally people just know. And the way the music business is, people want to be working, need to be working, mm. have bills to pay. So yeah. they factor but in the holidays. Everyone when. has their own limit as well. Yes, physical limit there'll be some players who can come in every day in the string section and play all the notes and and they're bulletproof and that's just the way they rock whereas there'll be some who physically can't do that and you have to take that into consideration as well rest breaks yeah wow I just want to thank you both for sharing about your experiences both as a fixer and personnel manager and as a musician dealing with the juggles of life and creating music it's been wonderful to speak to you both thank you Thank you. Pleasure. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Andrew Chenery and Sue Burling for revealing the ins and outs of fixing players for an orchestra. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and thank you for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.